people welcome back to my podcast remembering our past and this is me nana on this side and uh, i'm sorry i've been uh, able to you know upload any new episode because of my exam is coming over and i'm just sort of busy in my new job and my exams and everything else so i wasn't getting enough time to make a podcast but since this is a weekend and i was hoping to uh, release one or two episodes uh, since we are just stuck after alexander's campaign so in my last episode we did how uh, uh, we discussed about alexander's campaign and how elaborately it was written by greeks but uh, there is nothing written about his uh, campaign you know in indian community or in uh, indian literatures so that was one thing and uh, after that what we are going to discuss in this episode is the uh, one of the one of the greatest empires from where king ashok belonged yeah you guessed right we are going to talk about maurya so the maurya empire was the first and one of the greatest empires that was established on indian soil that's right the vast maurya empire stretching from the valley of the oxus to the delta of kaveri was given a well knit common administration the first ruler chandragupta maurya who unified entire india under one political unit now about uh, maurya rulers we have like epigraphical sources literature so, uh, literary sources uh, foreign accounts and materials obviously which were obtained from archaeological excavations the arthashastra is a book it gives us a detailed information about the administrative system of the mauryan empire the work was written by the king maker himself kautilya or uh, who is also known as chanakya which i was telling you during alexander's campaign that uh, being such a great personality chanakya was there was not even like a you know even a small mention about him in greek historians literary work so that was like kind of odd you know so some scholars think that kautilya was the real architect of the mauryan empire and also the prime minister of chandragupta maurya megasthenes the greek ambassador from the court of silesius to that of chandragupta maurya wrote accounts of india and indian people his book indica is lost now but uh, some fragments of it are known to us in the form of quotations in the work of the other greek writers who came later right now despite some discrepancies and inaccuracies in the information provided by megasthenes it is nevertheless a useful resource because it was one of the first books written by someone outside of india about india however the most uh, important 
an authentic source for the history of Mauryan period is obviously the inscription of Ashoka. Ashoka had, uh, you know, he created lots of like inscriptions all around the India, and they became one of the greatest source and most authentic one about this empire. So let's start with Chandragupta Maurya, shall we? So he lived from 324 to 300 BCE. Not uh, much is known about his early life or ancestry of Chandragupta from where he was, who he was, like from which lineage he belonged to. It's not known. The Buddhist source, although like uh, Mahavamsa and Deepavamsa describes Chandragupta Maurya as the sign of the Kshatri clan of the Maurya's branch of Shakya, who lived in Pipilavanya. I told you about when I was discussing in Mahajanpada that uh, Shakyas were important and Chandragupta Maurya was supposed to be from one of the Maurya's branch of Shakyas in eastern Uttar Pradesh they used to live. Now, the Mudra Rakshasa, a play written by Vishakhadar, uses the terms like Vrishala or Kulahin. Kulahin means family um, who doesn't have a lineage or who doesn't have a kul or family you can say. For Chandragupta, which means a person of a humble origin. Justin, a Greek writer, also says that Chandragupta was born in a humble life. According to Buddhist source though, Chandragupta's father was killed in a battle and he was brought up by his maternal uncle, right? They always portrayed Chandragupta Maurya as a Kshatriya, but other writers, they said that he, was, he, he wasn't having any kind of image, right? Chanakya, finding the signs of royalty in the child, Chandragupta took him um he took him as his pupil okay and educated him at takshila which was then a great uh, center of learning as i told you takshila there was also vikramshila and nalanda but uh, they came afterwards okay takshila was very early chandrakut's early life and education at takshila is indirectly proved by the fact that the greek sources tell us that he had seen Alexander in course of latest campaign of Punjab. The details of Chandragupta's conquest and empire building process are not available to us, but obviously from the Greek and Jain sources, it seems that Chandragupta took advantage of the disturbance caused by the invasion of Alexander and his sudden death in 323 BC in Babylon, he saw a chance. He, with the help of Kautilya or Chanakya, raised a large army and launched campaigns. He first overthrew the Greek Kshatraps ruling in the region of northwestern India. They were put by the Alexander himself and he overthrew him. Justin writes about it. India, after the death of Alexander, had shaken as it were the yoke of servitude from its neck and put his governors to death. The architect of this liberation was Sandrokotas. Sandrokotas of a Greek writers has been identified with Chandragupta Maurya. 
After liberating northwestern India from the Greek rule, Chandragupta turned his attention to the conquest of Magadh, one of the great kingdoms from that. And at that time, the ruling family was Nanda, Mahapadmananda, obviously, who scared, who made the Greek soldier pissed their pants, those Nandas. And Chandragupta just turned his attention towards Nandas. Now, the details of this conquest is not known to us. Although, again, the Gen text had written something about it. This, uh, it described that conquest with the help of Chanakya. Chandragupta defeated the Nanda king and captured him. After defeating Nanda, Chandragupta became the ruler of Magadha Empire. You see, the, this conquest was very one of the most important conquests in Chandragupta Maurya's life and also in life of Chanakya or Kautilya. That's why he was uh, mainly because of this conquest he is known as Kingmaker. He was a very renowned strategist and his tactics, his politics was at another level okay and maybe that's why Chandragupta Mori became one of the famous rulers because of Chanakya. Chandragupta's western and south southern India conquests are known to us through indirect evidences obviously. The Junagadh rock inscription of Rudraman says that a dam on the Sudarshana Lake for irrigation was constructed by Pushyagupta, the provincial governor of Chandragupta Maurya. Later, Yavanaraj Shupa ex- excavated canals for irrigation during Ashoka's reign. Similarly, the find of Ashokan inscription at Girnar Hills in Junagar district uh, that is in Gujarat and at a Sapora Thani district in Maharashtra shows that these areas formed part of the Mauryan Empire. Ashoka's inscription have been found at Masaki, Yeraguri, Chittaldurg in Karnataka, Rock Edict 2 and 30 of, of Ashoka mentions that his immediate neighboring states were those of Cholas, Pandyas, Satyaputras and Kerala Putras. Since Ashoka and his father Bindusa are not known to have made conquest in South India, it can be said that it was conquered by Chandragupta. This conclusion is further strengthened by the Jain tradition which says that in his old age, Chandragupta abdicated the throne and retired to Shravan Belagola in Karnataka with his teacher, the Janashtik Bhadrabahu. Local inscription of later period referred to his giving up. Uh, life as a devout Jaina. Okay? And uh, he, well, when I was talking about Jain tradition, I told you how they used to, uh, you know, go on fast when they get enlightened and Chandragupta Maurya also did that. He fast on to death at that place. There is a hill nearby called Chandragiri 
which seems to be named after him chandragupta defeated the invading army of the greek satrapa seleucus who had succeeded alexander in the eastern part of his empire this victory was achieved in about 305 bc the greek writers do not give details of the war but state that a treaty was concluded in which seleucus conceded the territories of kandhar kabul herat and baluchistan and chandragupta presented him 500 elephants it is also stated that this also led to the matrimonial alliance between the two perhaps seleucus married his daughter to chandragupta maurya or to his son bindusar seleucus sent megasthenes as his ambassador to the court of chandragupta pultrak writes chandragupta's who had by that time mounted the throne overrun and subdued the whole of india with an army of 6 lakh thus chandragupta established a vast empire which with the exception of kalinga that is orissa extended from afghanistan in the west to assam in the east and uh, from kashmir you can say in north to karnataka and south this is di- indirectly proved by the fine spots of the edicts of his grandson ashoka ashoka is said to have added only kalinga to the mauryan empire and there is no definite evidence that his father bindusab made any conquest at all chandragupta maurya is said to have ruled for 24 years from 324 bc to 300 bc he was succeeded by his son bindusab We know little about this king. The Jain scholar Hema Chandra and Tibetan historian Taranath say that Chanakya outlived Chandragupta and continued as a minister of Bindusar. From Divya Vandana, we came to know that Bindusar appointed his eldest son, Sumana, also named Sushima, as his viceroy at Takshila and Ashoka at Ujjain. It also tells us that a revolt broke out at Takshila and when it could not be suppressed by Susima Ashoka was sent to restore the peace Some scholars give the credit of South Indian conquest to Bindusar but most scholars believe that this was done by his father Chandragupta Maurya Bindusar continued the policy of friendly relations with Hellenic world Pliny mentions that Ptolemy of Philadelphus of Egypt sent Dionysus as his ambassador to his court. After the death of Bindusar in 273 BC, Ashoka succeeded to the throne. On the early life of Ashoka, we have only traditional accounts. According to Buddhist sources, his mother was Janapada Kalyani or Subhadrangi. As a prince he served as a viceroy first at Ujjain and then at Takshila According to the Buddhist tradition Ashoka was very cruel in his early life and captured the throne after killing his 99 brothers Obviously it's just a traditional thing that he killed his 99 brothers but it is said that he used to be very cruel 
but this does not appear to be correct not only because of the exaggerated figure of 99 but also because in the addicts which ashoka uh, left behind he speaks affectionately about his brothers and sisters and relatives now ashoka is the first king in the indian history who has left his records engraved on stones the history of ashoka and his reign can be reconstructed with the help of these inscriptions and some other literary sources the inscription on the rocks are called rock edicts and those on pillar are called pillar edicts the ashokan inscription are found in india nepal pakistan and afghanistan altogether they appear at 47 places however the name of ashoka only occur in copies of minor rock edict one found at three places in karnataka and one in madhya pradesh all other inscriptions refer to him as devanampya beloved of the gods or piyadasi these inscriptions are generally located on ancient highways the inscription of ashoka were written in four different scripts in afghanistan area they were written in greek and armenic edmaic uh, languages and scripts in pakistani area uh, in prakriti language in, and kharoshti script inscription from all other areas are in prakriti language written in brahmin script the earliest event of ashoka's reign recorded in his inscription is his conquest of kalinga only conquest he ever you know had now kalinga is in modern orissa and probably some adjoining areas in the 8th year of his reign he went ahead with this conquest this turned out to be the first and also the last battle fought by him the rock edict 13 described vividly the horrors and miseries of this war and its impact on ashoka according to this edict 1 lakh people were killed in this war several lakh perished and a lakh and a half were taken prisoners these numbers may be exaggerated but one fact comes out clearly that this war had a devastating effect on the people of kaling the horrors of war completely changed the personality of ashoka he felt great remorse for the atrocities the war brought in its wake he thus abandoned the policy of aggression and tried to conquer the hearts of the people the drums declaring wars were replaced by the drums announcing ethical and moral principles with dhamma ghosha he took steps from the welfare of people animals and others he sent ambassadors of peace to the greek kingdoms in west asia and several other countries but this did not mean that he became you know a big-hearted pacifist contrary to this he warned people that these good measures may not be taken as a sign of weakness if need be he would not hesitate in dealing severely with the erring he did not pursue the policy of peace for the sake of peace and under all conditions within the empire he appointed a class of officers known as rajukas who vested with the authority of not only rewarding people but also punishing them if required 
There is no doubt that Ashoka's personal religion was Buddhism. In his Babru Edict, he says he had full faith in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sun. Though Ashoka accepted Buddhism as his main faith, it would be wrong to think that he forced Buddhist ideals on his subjects. He showed respect to all sects, faiths, and believed in unity among ethical and moral values of all sects. In Rock Edict 7, he says all sects desire both self-control and purity of mind. In Rock Edict 12, he pronounces his policy of equal respect to all religious sects and more clearly. What he says in there is that he honors all sects and both ascetics and laymen with gifts and various forms of recognitions. After the Kalinga War, the greatest ideal and objective before Ashoka was the propagation of Dhamma. The Dhamma, as explained in Ashoka's edicts, is not a religion or a religious system, but a moral law, a common code of conduct or you can say an ethical order. In Pillar Edict 2, Ashoka himself puts the question, what is Dhamma? And then he enumerates the two basic attributes and or constituents of Dhamma, less evil and many good deeds. He says such evil as rage, cruelty, anger, pride and envy are to be avoided and many good deeds like kindness, liberality, truthfulness, gentleness, self-control, purity of heart, attachment to morality, inner and outer purity etc are to be pursued vigorously. Ashoka in Rock Edict 12 and many other edicts prescribed the following codes to be followed. He prescribed 11 codes. These were obedience to mother and father, elders, teachers and other respectable persons, respect towards teacher, proper treatment towards ascetics, relations, slaves, servants and dependents, the poor and miserable, friends, acquaintances and companions. Liberality towards ascetics, friends, comrades, relatives and the aged. Abstention from killing of living beings. Non-injury to all living creatures. Spending little and accumulating little wealth. Mild, mildness in case of all living creatures. Truthfulness, attachment to morality and purity of heart. Thus, Ashoka tried to instill moral law, dhamma, as the governing principle and forced in every sphere of life. Dhamma of Ashoka thus is a code of a moral and virtuous life. He never discussed God or soul or religion as such. He asked people to have control over their passion, to cultivate purity of life and character in innermost thoughts, to be tolerant to other religions abstain for killing or injuring animals and to have regard for them, to be charitable to all, to be respectful to parents, teachers, relatives, friends, ascetics, to treat slaves and servants and dependable kindly and above all to tell the truth. Ashoka not only preached but also practiced these principles. He gave up hunting and killing of animals 
established hospitals for humans and animals and made liberal donations to the brahmins and ascetics of different religious sects he erected rest houses caused wells to be dug trees to be planted along the roads he did so many things after the kaling war ashoka adopted buddhism one of whose cardinal doctrines was non-violence and non-injurious living beings ashoka took for the propagation of buddhism he conducted dharma yatra and instructed his officials to do the same he appointed special class of official for the sole purpose these were known as dharam mahamatras whose sole responsibilities were to propagate dhamma among the people ashoka sent missions to foreign countries also to you know propagate the dhamma his missionaries went to western asia egypt eastern europe of the foreign kingdom whose kingdoms thus received the message of buddhism five are mentioned in the inscription of ashoka namely antiochus theos of syria and western asia plotlemy philadelphus of egypt antigonus gontras of macedonia megas of syrian and alexander of epirus the king even sent his son mahendra and daughter shangamitra to propagate buddhism in sri lanka ashoka was one of the greatest king in the history of the world his reign constituted one of the rare and lightning epochs in the annals of nations the most remarkable thing about ashoka is that his faith in buddhism never made him to neglect his duties as a king and impose it on his subjects his greatness lay in his realization of the values of life his conception of duties and responsibilities of a king the zeal with which he succeeded in giving effect to them are shining examples of this greatness and probably no ruler has ever expressed the relation between a king and his subjects in such a simple and noble language he declared all men are my children and just as i desire for my children that they may enjoy every kind of prosperity and happiness in both this world and the next so also i desire the same for all men ashoka is the only king in history of humankind who apologized to his conquered subjects for having waged war against them and caused them misery and sufferings the rock edict 13 is a moving document which could have been written only by a human being as noble and as great as ashoka he ruled over 40 years and met with his death in 232 bc the decline set in and soon after the empire broke up seven kings followed ashoka in succession in period of about 50 years It is impossible to construct a continuous history of the empire after Ashoka. Perhaps after the death of Ashoka, the empire was divided into an eastern and western part. The western part was governed by Kunala, Samatpati and others and the eastern part with southern India with its capital at Patalputra by six later Mauryan kings from Dasharatha to Birhadrath. the revolt of the andras in the south and victorious raids of the greek king in the west gave a blow to the power and prestige of the mauryan empire apparently 
due to the concern for the king and total disillusionment of king anwardiness pushyamitra the commander in chief killed the king birhadrath while he was reviewing the army too little is known of the actual circumstances leading to such an act however what is very clear is that the king was killed in full view of the public and that too in the presence of his own army this shows that he neither enjoyed the loyalty of his own army nor the sympathy of the people this is the only recorded and undisputed incident in the history of india till the 12th century ad where the king was murdered and replaced though pushyamitra ascended the throne curiously enough he retained the title of the senapati or commander in chief did not adopt any title declaring himself as the king there is something very dramatic happening in which the way in, in which modern empire declined and disappeared just in 50 years after the death of ashoka historian uh, historians have given various reasons for that most of the historians agree that after ashoka his successor line were weak who could not control the unrest and revolt in various parts of the empire consequently the northwestern southern portion were the first to go out some historians hold ashoka responsible for this decline ashoka's pacifist policy weakened the empire in terms of power and military strength the centralized empire needs very strong willed rulers which was not the case with ashoka's successor some historians think that ashoka's welfare measures must have eaten away a large chunk of income and treasury of kingdom overall all income must have been very inadequate to maintain the army and the administrative machinery this must have weakened the entire edifice of the empire but weak economy does not appear to be the case as the excavations of the mauryan settlements and also their evidence point to an expanding and flourishing economy the mauryan empire was one of the largest in the whole of the ancient world it ushered in a centralized form of government from the arthashastra ashoka's inscription and form the fragments available from the megasthenius accounts we have a fairly good idea about the various aspects of administration economy society and religion of the people the king was the head of state he had judicial legislative and executive powers the king issued what were known as sasana or ordinances the edicts of ashoka were example of those ordinances but king could not do whatever he liked he had to follow the law of country given by lawgivers and had to govern according to the customs of the land the king was assisted in administration by the councils of ministers that is mantri parishad besides these there were some officers known as adhyaksh that is superintendents Cotelia refers to a large number of superintendents like those of gold, storehouse, commerce, agriculture, ships, cows, horses, elephants, carriages, infantry, passports, and the city, etc. In the modern administration, there was an officer called Yukta who was perhaps the subordinate officer in charge of the revenues of the king. The Rajukas, as I already told you, were officers responsible for land measurement and fixing their boundaries. They were also given power to punish the guilty and set free the innocents. 
Another officers of the Mauryan administration were Pardeshikas. Some scholars think that he was responsible for the collection of revenue, while others think that he was a provincial governor. The Mauryan Empire was divided into provinces. We do not know about the number of provinces during the reign of Chandragupta and Mindusa, but we know that during the reign of Bindusar, Ashoka was posted at Ujjain as governor of the Avanti region, while his brother Susima was posted at Takshila as the governor of the northwestern province. The important province were directly under Kumars, that is, prince. According to the Junagar rock inscription of Rudraman, Saurashtra Kathiawad was governed by Vaishya Pushyagupta at the time of Chandragupta Maurya and by Yavana Raj Shupa at the time of Ashoka, both provincial governors. Provinces were subdivided into the districts, each of these were further divided into groups of villages and the final unit of administration was the village, obviously. Now, a group of officials worked in each district. The, pra- pra- the Pradeshika was the head of district administration who toured the entire district every five years to inspect the administration of areas under his control. The Rajuka, as I was telling, was serving and assessing the lands and they also had these judicial functions. The duties of the Yukta largely comprised secretarial work, collection and accounting of revenue, etc. The village was the smallest unit of administration. The head of the village was called Gramika, who was assisted in village administration by a village elders. It is difficult to say whether the Gramika was a paid servant or was elected by the village people. The villagers enjoyed considerable autonomy. Most of the disputes of the village were settled by Gramika with the help of village assembly. The Arthashastra mentions a wide range of scales and salary, the highest being 48,000 panna and the lowest 60 panna. A number of cities such as Patilputra, Takshila, Ujjain, Toshali, Swarnagiri, Sampa, Isla, Koshampi are mentioned in the edicts of Ashoka. The Arthashastra had a full chapter on the administration of cities. Megasthenius has described in detail the administration of Patilputra. It can be safely presumed that similar administrative system was followed in most of the Mauryan cities. Megasthenius tells us that the city of Patilputra was administrated by a city council comprising 30 members. These 30 members were divided into board of 5 members each. Each of these boards had specific responsibilities towards the administration of the city. For example, first board was concerned with the industrial and artistic produce. Its duty including fixing of wages, check the adulteration, etc. The second board dealt with the appearance of the visitors, especially foreigners who came to Patiputra. The third board was concerned with the registration of birth and death. The fourth board regulated trade and commerce, kept a vigil on the manufactured goods and sales of commodities. The fifth board were responsible for the supervision of manufacture of goods. The sixth board collected taxes as per the value of sold goods. The tax was normally one tenth of the sold goods. Okay. There were many other things. The administrative machinery of the modern state was fairly developed and well organized. Numerous departments regulated and controlled the activities of the state. Several important departments that Chanakya mentions 
our accounts revenue binds minerals taxation customs the state was conceived as a complex of activities of its various departments which covered almost every sphere of the state's affairs Megasthenes speaks of modern societies comprising of seven castes that was philosophers farmers soldiers herdsmen artisans magistrates and councillors Megasthenes could not properly comprehend the Indian society and failed to distinguish between jati varna or the caste system and the occupation the chatra the chaturvarna system continued to govern the society but the craftsmen irrespective of jati enjoyed a very high place in the society the material growth mellowed the jati restriction and gave people prosperity and respectability the urban way of life developed the residential accommodation its wealth etc were entered into official records and rulers and regulations were well defined and strictly implemented the education was fairly widespread teaching continued to be the main job of the brahmans but buddhist monastery also acted as educational institutes takshila ujjain and banaras were famous educational center the technical education was generally provided through guilds where people learned the crafts from early age in domestic life let's just go to domestic ones this the all we discussed in what's were happening in the society a in domestic life the joint family was the norm people used to live together all of them a married woman had her own property in the form of bride gift or istri dhan and jewelries these were at her disposal in case of widowhood the widows had a very honorable place in the society they there are frequent reference to women enjoying freedom and engaged in a gainful occupation offenses against a woman were severely dealt with cortelia laid down penalties against official in charge of workshop and prisons who misbehaved with women megasthenes has stated that slavery did not exist in india however forced labor and bonded labor did exist on a very limited scale but were not treated so harshly as the slaves who used to be treated in the western world because you know ashoka said all that you have to respect each and every one even the slaves and those who are dependent on you so they weren't as treated so harshly as it is shown in the western world about one and a half century of mauryan rule witnessed the growth of economy art architecture education etc which made india into a great civilization and one of the greatest countries in the contemporary world the mauryan created a machinery which governed vast areas directly and to enforce the rules and regulations in respect of agriculture industry commerce animal husbandry etc the measures taken by the mauryan state for the promotion of economy gave great impetus to economic development during this period the vastness of india's agriculture and mineral resources and the extraordinary skills of her craftsmen have been mentioned with admiration by megasthenes and other greek writers the large part of the population was agriculturist and lived in villages new areas were bought under cultivation after cleaning the forest the state held people in this endeavor certain types of forest were protected by law 
people were encouraged to settle down in new areas according to the crops rice of different varieties coarse grains sesame pepper saffron pulses wheat mustard vegetable and fruits of various kinds and sugarcane used to be grown the state also owned agriculture farms cattle farms dairy farms etc water reservoirs dams were built water for irrigation was distributed and measured the famous inscription of rudraman found at junagar mentions that one of the chandragupta governors pushyagupta was responsible for building a dam on sudarshana lake near girnar in kathiawar from an inscription of skandgupta we came to be known that this dam was repaired during his reign almost 800 years after it was built industry was organized in various guilds the chief industries were textile mining and metallurgy ship building jewelry making metal working pot making etc some other industries were manufacturing dyes gums drugs perfumes etc the trade was regulated by the state obviously india supplied the western countries with indigo various medicinal substance cotton and silk foreign trade was carried on by land as well as by sea special arrangements were made for the protection of trade routes provisions of warehouses godans transport arrangements were also made the trader had to get a license to trade anyways the state controlled and regulated the weights and measures the guilds which are there for each kind of art were powerful institution it gave craftsmen great economic political and judicial powers and protection the chief of guild was called as cheshtka the guild settled the disputes of their members and a very few of them even issued their own coins they also made donations to educational institutions learned brahmans and to the destitute this can be understood by little inscriptional evidence the sachi stupa one of the famous uh stupa inscription mentions that one of the carved gateways were donated by the guilds of ivory workers similarly the nashik cave inscription mentions the two weavers guild gave permanent endowments for the maintenance of the temple cortelia says a full treasury is a guarantee of the prosperity of a state and it is the most important duty of the king to keep the treasury full at all the times for all works During modern period, taxes were levied both in cash and in kind, and were collected by local officers. The chief source of revenue was land tax, a tax levied on trade, etc. The land tax was one fourth to one sixth of all the produce. Toll tax were levied on all items which were brought to sale in the market, and you know, Starbo mentions that craftsmen and herdsmen. traders farmers all all and every each or one of them used to pay taxes arthashastra described revenue at a great length and this was further augmented by income from mines forest pasture lands trade forts etc the income from the king's own land or estate also used to be counted and it was known as sita brahmans children and handicapped people were the only one who were exempted from paying tax Also no tax was levied in areas where new trade routes or new irrigation projects or new agriculture land were being developed. Tax invasion was considered a very serious crime. Offenders were severely punished. 
Now, during the uh, during this period, during this kingdom, we notice a great development in the field of art and architecture as well. Many have survived still, like remains of the royal palace and the city of Patilput, Ashokan pillars and the capitals, which have which we have as an evidence. Rock cut Chatya cave in Barabar and Nagarjuni hills, individual Mauryan sculptures and terracotta figurines. Now, Patilputra or the modern Patna, which is the capital of Bihar, was described in detail by Mangasthenes, reference of which were founded in the writings of Starbo, Arian, and other Greek writers as well. It stretched along the river Ganga in the form of parallelogram, which was enclosed by the wooden wall and had 64 gates. Excavation have brought to light remains of palaces in the wooden palisade. Aryan describes the palace in terms where the greatest of all kings of India resided was a marvel of a workmanship with which neither Mimonian Susa with all its costly splendor nor Iqbatana all its magnificence can weigh. The Mauryan wooden palace survived for about 700 years because uh, at the end of 4th century AD, when Fayan, the Chinese traveler, saw it, it was astounding. The palace and also the wooden palace it seems to have been destroyed by fire. The burnt wooden structure and ashes have been found from Kumharan. Seven rock-cut caves in Baban and Nagarjuna Hill show that the considered to be one of the most unique historical records. It was a bio graphical account of the king's life and his achievement, not in general terms, but year-wise. The inscription, for example, says that after having received his training in writing and mathematics, law, finance, necessary for a crown prince, Karvela ascended the throne in his 24th year. He spent the first year in rebuilding the capital of Kalinga. In the second, he defied the mighty of Satkarni and attacked and destroyed the city of Mushilika. In fourth year, he subdued Rathiras and Bhojakars of Bera. In the fifth year, he extended the old canal which was built by Nandas about 300 years earlier and had fallen in disuse. Karvela invaded the kingdoms of Magad in the 8th and 12th century of his reign. During the second campaign, Karvela carried home an image of Jain Tithankar from Magad, which had been previously thought taken from Kalinga to Magad. The wealth he got during his campaign was used to build magnificent temples at Bhuvneshwar. In the 13th century, uh, in the 13th sorry, in 13th year of his reign, he undertook many public welfare schemes and also subdued the Pandya rulers. The inscription mentions the achievements up to only up to the 13th year of Karvela's reign. Nothing is heard of him of his successor, if any. Now, apart from the most important dynasties ruling in post-Mauryan North India, we had a number of republics ruling over smaller states. We know that these republics through their coins on which their names were found. Some of them are like Malvas, Adumbaras, Kunidas, Yadus. Most of these later on became tributaries of the Guptas and vanished altogether after 4th century AD. So this is all about uh, Mauryas, how their society was, 
what kind of economy they had and they were very strict and they had just two greatest king chandragupta maurya and ashoka chandragupta's son bindusar he didn't uh, you know done much of it and after the one, after that ashoka was the greatest one he is known as ashoka the great okay there is also a movie about it if you want to see uh, starring shahrukh khan the king khan it's there although it shows a, a very different aspect of king ashok it is showed that how cruel he was cold hearted you know and uh, you know he felt cold hearted person but he was not so cold hearted as i already told you when sushima his elder brother wasn't able to you know uh, tackle down the revolt which was going in takshila he went there for his help although he went there for uh, by the order of his father but he did he went for the help and uh, in many edicts it is said that he used to have a very good relations with his brothers sisters and the relatives he used to care for them and uh, kalinga being his first and last war it doesn't seem that he was so hardcore cold person yet uh, he did he did have a very severe kind of punishments it is said that he have an had one one prison uh, thing uh, around a, a well it was a well and um, on the wall of this well there was small uh, space created with the you know uh, you can say with metal mesh at one side and obviously there is nothing on the other side because it's a well it was used to be very deep and the prisoners used to be kept in that small cubicle thing okay they were held on the small cubicle thing and they used to squat inside in that uh, in that area and i i hope they were punished for some very severe things but it used to be like that um so yeah it is all about modern empire and i know this episode is gone but this is weekend episode guys and you guys can definitely you know message me contact me uh, on instagram okay definitely tell me what you guys think and just write anchor before you send me any message or i won't be able to see it and after this what we are going to discuss in the next episode is going to be about deccan because we are going to move a little south as i already told you ashoka was weren't able to you know capture the southern part okay he had a neighbors pandyas cholas and others so if you see the history as and as i will you know help you move towards where we are right now and as we will um so uh, you know parse through this timeline you will see very little of northern kingdoms were able to capture the most southern of the point that is tamil nadu kerala these areas it was very hard for people to capture that point and even if they did they weren't able to hold it hold on to it for very long okay so 
you will we will also see you will realize the difference why north india is so different from south india if you are if you are foreigner even if you are from this country and if you are foreigner you will see there's lots of difference first thing was north was never never a stable they never had a stable kingdom for long okay maybe for one generation two generation three generation that's it they never had a stable kingdom for a long and invaders and everything used to attack like almost every time okay another hand south was much more on stable grounds so we will see that and deccan was a whole other place when it is compared to the plains of ganga western ghat eastern ghat these are like whole different place if you can um, compare them with plains so yes we will go through that also we will also see the kings in the south we will see who were cholas pandyas pallavas and we will also see the approach of foreign invaders okay there was a time in indian uh, history when indo greeks and uh, other like uh, parthians or what you will say iranian people they also ruled india for a long time okay chinese mongols even they came they uh, ruled india for a long time so these are many of them and it's not like they just ruled okay they took uh, they even accepted the culture and tradition that's what makes india a beautiful place to live in what we have today is the accumulation it's the agam you know you can say it's a it's a mixture of every kind of uh, culture or you can say tradition almost all around the world and not like if you'll cross the atlantic but if you'll see on this side on ocean side we had rulers as far from iran from central asia in from europe uh, we had people from mongol we had people from all from all the neighboring area of india all of them at one point or another they ruled over us and uh, it wasn't that they, they, they most of them it maybe i think we were lucky most of them were unlike britishers most of them were not here to just exploit they were here to rule so it wasn't that they were imposing their culture and tradition they even accepted the our culture and tradition as well so since i'm coming to maximum of the time let's say we are going to end this here okay guys and i'll tell you more about it in next episode so good night and take care and always wear mask